0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Now we actually have a finals game. I really thought it was yesterday. I really did. I don't know why. I knew there was two games off but or two days off, I should say, between ball games. I just for some reason like I thought yesterday was Wednesday and then I thought today was also Wednesday. I know that that can't happen. In whatever uh, universe we're in, but I don't know. And I, I have no excuses because last week was Memorial Day. Last week is when everything was out of whack. This week things should be relatively normal. I think because the kids are off school. I just, I got no, I got no sense of when it is or where I am. And I am, I mean, I got to tell you guys, I'm a, I'm a total hot mess of a human being this week. When the kids are off school and the routine is off, boy, am I a disaster. I went, and then we're going to talk finals, and then we've also got Cleveland Cavaliers today. I went to, I don't know if you guys use Costco for their pharmacy, but you should. It's very affordable compared to a lot of places, and it's like a 25-minute drive from my place, and I went down there and I bought, I got my prescription, and I left it in a shopping cart in the parking lot. Some kind soul, might have been a Costco employee, managed to return it. So I ended up going there twice. Oh, God. I spent like an hour and 40 minutes driving to and from Costco yesterday. I, I mean, I'm just a total moron. Although I did entertain the, uh, the pharmacy tech behind the counter when I referred to myself as a hot mess who uh, was struggling to be a functional adult human being. So they enjoyed that, and uh, and then I did ultimately get my stuff. But that is a very hard card to have to play when you're supposed to be in a bunch of different places at the same time. As far as the NBA Finals is concerned, the Celtics, as we mentioned very briefly on yesterday's show, favored by three and a half right now over the Warriors, total of two twelve and a half, which you know isn't all that far off from totals wise, at least the last couple of. Finals games um, I believe the previous one was two thirteen and a half and I think game one was actually also two thirteen and a half side is is steady it's been three and a half pretty much since it opened totals down about a half point but basically everything is just hanging in there and you can understand why and and I mentioned this I think uh, a couple shows back actually actually when there wasn't a couple shows back there was no time pressure and was to sort of point out, first of all, Boston had a terrible offensive game in game two. 88 points, 18 turnovers. But even when you roll all that together, 37.5% shooting, they did have the 15 three pointers that dropped. And so uh, even though it wasn't that fast of a ball game, and even though Boston was so bad on offense with all their turnovers and missed shots, we're still talking about a game that was in the 106, 107 possession range for boston so yeah they went way under the mark obviously but that puts this thing pretty damn close to the total and the warriors mind you not all that far off either they were about 108 possessions in that ball game slightly more than boston because they had fewer turnovers only 12 on the Warriors side they made 45 percent of their shots 15 of those were three pointers and that was enough to get them basically to what their projected number was about 107, I think it was 109, 105, or something like that was supposed to be the, the projected final score based on the 215 total. And you can interpret this data in a couple different ways. First, you can look at it and say, all right, well, look, if the teams are going to get about 215 possessions, the total's basically right. But what's also worth noting is that the teams, neither one of these clubs was particularly good on offense in that last ballgame. And the Warriors, who were, I would say, decidedly average offensively in that game still got to 107 and boston who was basically as bad as they could have possibly been only got to 88 they needed to get to 105 106 to get that thing to the total so it looks like it went under by a ton but it's really a bit more anomalous based on boston's bad 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 offensive everything now the question becomes, as you handicap game three, what are the adjustments the Celtics make on offense to try to get the Warriors a little bit off kilter? Because in game two, Jason Tatum was the only guy who actually hit his buckets. Everybody else was awful. Some of, the, some of those guys will be better in game three, just sort of law of averages kind of stuff. And frankly, in a series that's this heavily built on three-pointers, there's going to be a ton of of statistical variance that you have to factor in, and it makes it a very complicated series to handicap on a game-to-game basis. What I saw in Game 2 that I liked on the Warriors' side was the way that they handled the non-Boston Stars, or the Boston non-Stars, I guess. Non-Boston Stars would have been their own team. The Boston non-Stars, which is just enough pressure so that they weren't all wide open, the way that they kinda were in game one. And look, let's be honest too. Boston hit a lot of tough shots in game one. Everything just went in. Horford, quick trigger, baseline, jumpers. What did he hit? Six three pointers in that game? I love Al. You know I love Al. He was one of the biggest old man hits of the year. But also, that was crazy. Forget turn back the clock, Al. It doesn't matter how far you turn the clock back. That type of shooting in game one just wasn't sustainable. At least not long-term. Anything can happen in a short series like this. Uh, so I think we're going to get a better ball game here, but the reason that we, that we often don't is because sometimes one team just hits shots and the other one doesn't. That's kind of the way these playoffs have been, and as teams grow more and more built to keep opponents from getting to the rim easily, and then everybody wants three-pointers instead of middies anyway, it's going to be a lot of threes. Boston's going to try to keep Golden State from getting open looks. Warriors are going to bomb from outside. Celtics shoot a lot of threes anyway. Warriors, actually, it's it's a bit overblown how many threes they tend to take just because of the name's on the roster. But Boston's going to push them back into those types of looks. Don't get to the rim. Nothing easy. If you're going to beat us, you're going to have to do it from 20 feet out. And they're not going to take 20-footers. They're going to take 23-24, make it worth three points. So if one team gets hot, the other one doesn't, blowout possibly an under in a situation like that i said on yesterday's pod i had a lean to the warriors and i had a slight lean to the under i don't think that lean to the under is all that significant i just i get this feeling that the celtics are going to have something for the warriors defensively that they couldn't fully implement on the road because of how nuts chase center gets chase center whatever they call that joint in san francisco now the place gets crazy. Warriors are a really good shooting team at home. They are a very, very, very good home basketball club in these playoffs. Have they lost any home games before this Boston one? Was that the first? I forget. There might have been one. Was there one other one? I don't know. Sort of doesn't matter. Um, so roll it all together. Total's a tough one. Side's a tough one. Slight lean to the Warriors. Slight, 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 slight lean to the under, but it is real. Razor thin. I am Dan Basperis. This is Fantasy NBA today. Shout out once again to our baseball and our basketball guys. Or uh sorry, baseball and football guys. I got distracted by something. It happens. Should he edit it out? Nah. Too lazy for that, right? Right. Joe Orico, 99 on Twitter. That's our baseball guy. JP Sticko. 90, er, uh, no numbers on that one. Just J-P-S-T-I-C-C-O. That's our football guy. You guys need to check them out. They're coming, man. They're coming. You should be there when it happens. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Love the work they're doing. Ethos Fantasy BK, Ethos Fantasy FB, Ethos Fantasy Bb. Those are the three sports we got rolling over at Sports Ethos right now as well. It's the Cleveland Cavaliers today. And the Cleveland Cavaliers have a lot of money on the books for this coming season and not all that much the following year. So they, like so many other teams we've talked about, already decent, tumbled, 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 tumbled as the season went on. Did that have a lot to do with the players that ended up being missing for the Cavs as the season went on yes it did but also it was just kind of the long grind of a season catching up with a team that was dramatically overachieving and clubs able to kind of get a bit of a scouting report you know we didn't know about Evan Mobley and he was a big he landed huge haymakers out of the gate and Jared Allen was amazing out of the gate this year and then he got hurt uh Ricky Rubio as the the backup point guard was fantastic and then he got hurt and it was just this lie, well Colin Sexton early in the season, and he m- missed the rest of the year. So it was just this laundry list of things, and then they ended up with Karis LeVert. They swung a deal, tried to shore things up a little bit, but he's often injured and wasn't, I don't think, really himself at any point uh, with, with Cleveland this year. And so, yeah, they fell. And as a result of all that maneuvering, all the gyrations that they made between injuries and trades— the Cavs have ended up with basically everybody that they had this last year under contract again for another season, and Colin Sexton is a restricted free agent, so he's either getting traded, signed and trade, signed to a longer term deal. He's due for a raise. All that to say, the Cavs are staring right down the barrel of another salary in that hundred and thirty some odd million dollar range. They were one thirty six, I think, this last year. So they'll be right back up there again. Kevin Love, final year of his deal, which, by the way, uh, decreasing value, but still a very large contract. He's getting 29 mil. Jared Allen signed the big extension. He's got another half a decade. Karis LeVert, last season of his deal, 19 mil. Lowry Markkinen, second year of his deal, 16 and a half. J.D. Osmond, seven and a half mil. Evan Mobley's on his rookie deal, but it's a pretty big one because he was an early draft pick. Darius Garland, also a pretty big rookie deal. He'll be a restricted free agent the following year, so they'll probably be looking to ink him. Isaac Okoro was a relatively early draft pick. He's due 7 mil next year. So there's a lot of medium and large salaries already locked in for the Cavaliers. All that to say, they've got choices to make. Kevin Love has an expiring deal. Karis LeVert has an expiring deal. These are actually pretty good trade chips on a team where, I don't know. I mean, if you told me to say whether or not it, this team was actually going to build around those guys, I think the answer is probably no on both of them. I'm sure they like Lavert just fine, but he's, I don't think, ever going to be the guy that, like some of the big box fantasy sites were, were hyping him as a few years ago. I don't think he's ever going to be that guy. And if he does get there, it's probably not going to just sort of magically happen this coming season. Unless he also gets healthy, which, you know, could, it's not impossible. Cavs, I'm sure, would very much enjoy it. But also, if they're willing, if Cleveland's willing to take a small step back for part of next year, that could really help them out going into the following season where they're going to have to commit a bunch of money to Darius Garland, and they will. And then you start looking a little bit even farther ahead to Evan Mobley's increasing salary. What do they want to do with a guy like Okoro? Depends, I guess, on what his progression looks like. And they got Allen and Martin locked in for a while. So what are the pieces they want to put around those guys? Now, if, on the other hand, the Cavs come into next year, and I think we've already heard that they're the favorite to maybe get Rubio back. We'll sign a new deal. But whatever, you know, that hasn't happened yet, so we're not going to worry about it. If the Cavs play decent ball again next year, if they're on pace to win, they won 44 games. By the way, I think it's actually supposed to be the Hawks today. Uh, I'm doing everything backwards. It doesn't matter. We're doing the Cavs. We're in it now. We'll do the Hawks tomorrow. Ah. Thank you, NBA website, for ordering the teams by how they went into the playoffs and not their actual number of wins on the year. I just can't read. I told you guys I can't do anything right this week. Anyway, point is, If the Cavs are on pace for another one of these low 40 win seasons, that puts them in play-in tournament zone, and that puts a lot of pressure on the front office to let it ride. It's very hard to be a back-end playoff team that decides to sort of semi-blow it up. Because what would they get back? They'd be looking for picks. They'd be looking for assets. You're not going to get something juicy for Kevin Love. You'd be getting either someone who has a longer-term deal... So if they wanted to get better, maybe that's the way to do it. You eat a little bit of salary going into the following season, or you unload him to uh, to a team that maybe wants Kevin Love, and that's a tougher sell than I would than Lavert certainly because first of all, their salary's bigger, so that makes it harder to match. But then with Lavert, you get this younger guy. A team might want him. Hey, this is a guy we want to plop on our team for a playoff run. If I had to guess. And it's all educated guesses on you know hypotheses based on history and what a team's trying to do and and you know where they are in sort of their team trajectory. I think the Cavs probably end up kind of playing it out this coming year, and then you know the Colin Sexton is the one question mark: is he back or is he end up somewhere else? Otherwise, Love probably a Cavalier next year. Lavert probably a Cavalier all of next year, and they'll just sort of see how far they can go with the hope that the following season, again, sort of Sexton independent, they'll still have Markinen and Allen and Mobley, and they'll ink Garland to his extension, and they'll have some room to wiggle around those guys. They'll have $40, 50000000 million in salary cap space. They could convince someone, hey, this is a sweet spot. We got a center, we got a power forward, we got a point guard. We got a small forward if we want to roll big. We need you, excellent wing, whoever you might be, excellent shooting guard, scoring shooting guard player who becomes free agent in 2023. I haven't gone that far down the road yet, but I think that's a pretty compelling case for them to say, hey, this is we're making our push now. We, want, we need someone to come in and join this excellent core. Garland, Mobley, Jared Allen, that's a pretty damn fun core. Markkanen fits well. Who's the other guy? Who's coming in? So, with that, again, it's a guess, but it's an educated guess. As you take a look at the Cavaliers for this coming season, you, I think, can pretty safely say that a lot of stuff is going to be set to repeat. Jared Allen, probably going to have a hyper-positive field goal percent year, and you just hope to hope to hope that he plays more than 56 out of 82 ball games, He might get underdrafted. You know, he was number 33 on a per-game basis. He was awesome when he was healthy this year. He's a top 50 center, almost unquestionably. And then again, you have to hope for durability. Darius Garland, he ended a top 40 with everything breaking his way not to say that he's not going to have a really good season next year i actually think there's a chance a small chance that he takes a little step backwards if let's say if sexton comes back or rubio comes back those guys going down meant that garland had to play ridiculous minutes and i think perhaps maybe it would have been a good thing he was number 37 on a per game basis in nine cat you know If Rubio's there and he's more like, I don't know, mid-40s, late-40s, around number 50, something like that. If Sexton's back and he's, again, maybe between 45 and 60, but he plays another five games, that's probably better for most head-to-head players. Roto, debatable. Markinen was number 72. He missed 21 games. Evan Mobley was number 80. He only missed 13 games. Kevin Love was number 127. Long stretches this year where he was inside the top 100, specifically when Markinen was out. He had a big run. When Jared Allen was out, he had a nice run. When everybody was healthy, it was not so good. And then Karis Lavert just wasn't good. He can score, but his percentages are bad. He doesn't assist as much here as he might somewhere else because of Darius Garland. He's not hitting that many three-pointers. His steals were down, but maybe could come back a little bit. But either way... He'll get overdrafted. He's more of a points league target kind of guy. And then Ricky Rubio was kind of hovering around the top 100 before he got hurt. So keep that in the back of your heads in case he comes back. And Colin Sexton was outside the top 350 before he got hurt. So also keep that in the back of your head. Sexton generally overdrafted, but could be an interesting like end of draft guy, keeper league kind of guy where maybe you'd take him in like your last pick and you squat on him for a couple of months. Otherwise, no, you don't draft an injured player in almost any redraft spot, especially one that doesn't have that kind of a ceiling. And he may end up somewhere else anyway. I'm not drafting Karis LaVert in nine-cat leagues. Uh, I'm not drafting Kevin Love in nine-cat leagues. And, I mean, he was fine, but there's, there's too many bodies around when the team's healthy. So that leaves four. Jared Allen, Darius Garland, Larry Markin, and Evan Mobley. And I think a lot of these guys, again, like I said, I think Jared Allen has a real chance to... Basically replicate. Larry Markinon has a real chance to replicate. Mobley has a chance to maybe even get a little bit better. Uh, I suppose there's a little bit on Markinen where you think, could he would he take a step back as Mobley gets better? I don't know. I mean, he missed his fair share of games also. He was he was decent enough when he was in there. Uh and then with Garland. Maybe a tiny step back. If the turnovers come down, that would be a way to, to buttress any kind of small usage fall-off. Again, should Ricky Rubio and Colin Sexton end up back in Cleveland. So if you're playing the game of which of these guys do you sort of quietly list off to the side on your sheet, I am extremely curious where Jared Allen goes in drafts this coming year. Again, he was a third-rounder on a per-game basis who was badly dinged up. And for long stretches was actually a second-rounder. Kind of didn't quite have that same gusto when he came back from his injury. I don't think he gets drafted in the third round. Uh, does he go in the fourth? He might go late fourth. It's still a bit early for my liking. He'd be someone i probably target in the fifth. Garland is someone that almost definitely gets drafted in the third, based on being close to that this last year. I don't I don't think I can go that high on him. Markinen probably doesn't get drafted particularly high. He's probably someone that goes in the 90 to 115 range. I'm okay with that. Mobley's gonna go real high. People are gonna foresee an improvement in free throws and a correction there. And if he adds any kind of three-pointer, if he goes from point three to like point eight, and his free throw goes from 66 to 71. That alone would catapult him from number 80 to more like number 60-65 range without any really, almost any other significant changes to his stuff. And he's one of those rare young guys where I might actually consider taking the flyer. Like if he's actually going in the sixth round, I'd probably do it. I think he has a chance to be really special. Especially after what we've seen and, and where... Again, like he has two very fixable categories for a young basketball player. He can get better at free-throw shooting. He can get better at three-point shooting. And his other stuff is already so damn good. So I like Mobley. Uh, He may outperform the hype next year. Markinen, maybe a tiny step back. Similar. Garland, microscopic step back. Allen, similar but maybe doesn't get drafted quite as high as he should, and that puts him on the radar. So uh, despite the fact that I think a lot of the Cavs either stay, either hold or maybe even take a a very small step backwards, I actually do think there are some targets that remain on this team. That is to say, I think Mobley might not have enough buzz, believe it or not, going into next year. We'll see. Maybe he does. Marken is kind of boring, but would make sense as a three-point shooting, free-throw shooting big man, if you can get him around 100 In almost any format, really, although he does tend to miss some time, so a little bit less safe on the head-to-head side. Garland's almost definitely going to get overdrafted. Um, Huge year, but again, no one in the backcourt with him this last season. I can't imagine that's the same. I don't think that they want him to have to be uh, a one-man gang on the guard side. And then again, Jared Allen, I think he probably goes a little low, but you also have to believe that he can stay healthy this coming year to make it work. I don't know why I keep doing these things out of order, but tomorrow, the Atlanta Hawks. Finally, maybe from there I can do this thing right. It goes Hawks and then Nets, uh, and that'll get us to the weekend. And then I can actually look at the numbers and figure out why I'm such a moron here lately. I am Dan Baspers for Fantasy NBA Today. Enjoy the finals. We'll do a little recap on tomorrow's show before we get into Atlanta. Hawks are a weird one, man. Hawks are a weird one. They've been a pain in the neck. And that's probably not changing anytime soon. Without a big splash, at least. Will there be one? Mm-hmm. So long, everybody.